Hello, welcome to a bonus episode of the Beatles Books podcast with me, Joe Wisby. My guest today is Jonathan Knott, who is here to discuss his work researching the Beatles' attempts to try and buy Greek Island in 1967. What inspired them to try and make this lavish purchase? What do they do during their time in Greece? Why did the sale fall through? Jonathan's detailed research answers these and many more questions about this typically crazy Beatle adventure. Jonathan, not hello. Welcome to the Beatles Books Podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Pleasure. We're here to talk about not a book, not a book yet anyway, but a substack, uh, a collection of writing uh, which really stood out to me and really grabbed me, which covers the story and the adventures of the Beatles and Greece, specifically their time in 1967 when they attempted to buy an island. A good old-fashioned obvious question, what what inspired you to write in this much detail about the Beatles and Greece? I used to write about travel, and when I was in Greece, I heard this story that the Beatles wanted to buy an island. So I thought that could be an interesting story, um, and I started to look into it. And the more I looked into it, the more sort of interesting it became, and there were various sort of mysterious aspects to it that seemed quite intriguing. I didn't intend to write about it in, in detail to start with. I just thought it sounded like an interesting story. Mm. But the more I looked into, into it, the more sort of interesting it became. Were you into the Beatles before doing this? Yeah, I liked their music and I sort of knew a bit about them. Um, so I was kind of a little bit into the 60s music and probably more Bob Dylan than the Beatles at that point. Mm. And then I guess through researching this, sort of got more into the Beatles and learned more about some of the details of, of their history and things like that. The Beatles at this point in, in 67, money was no object. They could have invested in in anything what what was it you think about Greece that made them want to investigate purchasing some land there well I guess we don't know ultimately but I think a key influence was probably Alexis Mardas who was a friend of theirs and who was sort of part of their sort of inner circle at this time and he was Greek and he sort of got to know them in London according to several accounts he apparently heard that they had this idea of living together perhaps on an island, he suggested it could be in Greece because apparently he had some good connections in Greece and could help them find an island. So it seems to be that he was a key factor in that decision to go to Greece specifically. We'll come back to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your subset, your, your writing, it, it makes it clear that there's always been a, a bit of confusion as to what island the Beatles actually were interested in, what islands they, they went to look at. Tell us a bit about that what was the island like that they were interested in i i think probably we still don't know for sure which island they wanted to buy and they probably were interested in a few i think but what what i suggest is that there's this group of islands called the lycodonesia which are near a, a bigger island called evia and from what i can see that group of islands seems to match pretty closely the various sources that we have for the island that they actually tried to buy. There, there are also some quite credible accounts that say they wanted to buy this island called Sugria, which is next to an island called Skiathos. And that's actually where I first heard the story. And there are also some reports that they were interested in this island called Ayatriada. All of those islands are sort of on the same route, the route that they probably took through Greece. So they could well have had some interest in all of them. 
Um, but what I suggest is that the one that they actually seriously started the process of buying was this this group of islands called the Lycadonicia. And I actually went there, um, I've been there a couple of times, and it is a really nice place. And I think the I think one of the key things about it is it is a group of islands. So it's one bigger island and then several smaller islands right next to it. That does come up in several of the descriptions, including in these archive documents that I've seen. So I think that's sort of quite a key detail in in their favour. So when you were there, what what kind of size are these islands that we're talking about? Are, are they like Channel Island size or what what are they like? No, they're they're small islands. So yeah, so in a lot of the descriptions in these books about the Beatles, they they sort of mention a big island of a well, a main island of about eight acres big, and then several smaller islands near it. That does correspond to this group of islands. So it's sort of a, a fairly small island, but on this one there are sort of several houses on it and people did used to live on it. It's big enough to have houses on, but sort of small enough that you could walk across it in a couple of hours or, or, or even less probably. So what's on these islands now then? When you were there, were they inhabited? Are they touristy? What are they like? Um, so these islands, the Lycanosicia, they are not inhabited, but there's some sort of disused houses that people used to live in. And I think actually it was around about the 60s that people sort of stopped living there permanently and moved back to the main island, I think. So yeah, you can, there are boat trips there in the summer sort of regularly. And people do visit. So on a sort of summer's day, by sort of the middle of the day, it'll get quite busy, but not really overcrowded. And they're still sort of fairly unknown, even within Greece. Mm. Uh, but people do know about them, but mm. they're not sort of one of the major tourist islands or anything. You write quite a lot about the background to Greece itself as a country. What what kind of country politically was Greece in, in 1967? In April 1967, it was taken over by a military dictatorship. There'd been various political problems in Greece in the in the preceding years. And this this group of colonels mainly took power and sort of imposed an authoritarian government. So they sort of suspended most democratic procedures, clamped down on what they perceived as being immoral. They're actually very sort of anti-hippies, anti-rock music, that kind of thing, and quite conservative in there in their cultural outlook. They imprisoned a lot of people who they claimed were communists or sort of left-wing. So they clamped down on any kind of possible dissent or sort of independent thought. So yeah, it was a fairly authoritarian place. You mentioned him earlier, and um, one of the most interesting characters in your writing and in the whole Beatles story is this character of Alexis Mardas, Magic Alex, mm. who appears in... He's, he's kind of someone that when you read lots of Beatles books, he pops up in biographies, he pops up in articles, in magazines that, that we've read, but he's still such a mysterious figure. What did you find out about him? What can you tell us about this kind of mysterious figure? Yeah, he is quite mysterious. And and strangely, he, you know, he was one of the few, I guess, people who didn't know the Beatles. And then at that point in time, managed to get right into their inner circle, which is mainly sort of comprised of people that they'd known for years from Liverpool. So it's kind of interesting that he got into that position. Still not not much that's known about him. He sort of came to London when he was, you know, he was sort of around the same age as the Beatles were then in his 20s and was sort of working or he was sort of hanging around the countercultural scene, apparently working as an electrician. 
and it apparently had some sort of talent for electronics and used to make these sort of flashing devices that appealed to John Lennon particularly. So I looked into his background, explored the various connections that he had. From what I've sort of learned from, from various places, it seems that his father had a career in the Greek army and then sort of may have had a career in business. So he did he did seem to have some kind of connection to the military. So when he talked about having connections in Greece, that could well have been the connection. Another connection he had is that this was actually in 1968, but he married the daughter of a very famous architect called Konstantinos Doxiadis, who was really very influential um, in Greece and also globally, not just as an architect, but also politically. So Doxiadis would have had a lot of connections um, in Greece and actually globally. And certainly, I guess, after his marriage in 1968, Alexis Mardas would have, have been able to access some of those connections. Whether he would have been able to do that in 1967, I think is not necessarily, you know, he wouldn't necessarily have had those connections. So he he was closest to, to John. I mean, did you get any sense from from what you read about him that the other Beatles, because there's the, the some of the scenes that you see in uh, the Get Back film, they're a bit dismissive of him when his name comes up. Did you get a sense of whether or not the other Beatles liked him as much as John? Yeah, that's that's hard to know. I think from the various Beatles biographies and things, I think they generally agree that John was closest to him. And I think John Lennon was actually best man at his wedding. Yeah, and then the the, the comments that, that you see are sort of, yes, yeah, slightly more sceptical from the other Beatles. But generally, he seems to have divided opinions. So... You know, a lot of people tend to, you know, seem to have had this impression that he was really nice and charming. And then obviously there's a lot of, there's been a lot of criticism of him and this idea that he claimed to do things that he wasn't able to do and sort of exaggerated what he could do and what he knew. So, yeah, I think probably he seems like a bit of both, but he's quite an interesting, interesting character. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just the final thing on, on him, really. As you said, it was hard to get in that inner circle. It's made up of people like Peter Brown, Tony Brownwell, Tony Barrow, people that they've known for a long time. Alexis is certainly not 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 like that. Did you get a sense of what it was about him that that John kind of liked? I guess on that subject, it's probably only what I've read in in other books, but it seems to be that he sort of presented himself as as an expert. Apparently, John Lennon called him his guru, and so. You know, I guess John Lennon was looking for some kind of maybe look, was looking for some kind of guru, and I think mm. also it's interesting that soon after this they they visited the Maharishi in in India. So there was that, that I think that sort of theme of of searching for something different was mm. perhaps behind this island plans as well, because at the time John Lennon was was taking a lot of LSD, and I think these sort of electronic toys devices that apparently Mardas would make um, probably appealed to him when he was under the influence of that as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, but it, it is strange that he's, he apparently seems to have had such a, a strong hold over the Beatles after not really knowing them at all, <laughs> somehow became very close to them. So. Yeah, that and that is unusual. That's very unusual. And we'll we'll come back to him before we finish. Uh, there's a few more questions about Magic Alex I think we, we can look at. But um, So we mentioned a bit about the, the situation in Greece when the it was arrive in in 67 how well known was it that they were viewing an island there that they were interested in in buying an island and 
what was the reaction like? Was it a positive or negative reaction from press and the public in general? From what I can see, within Britain, it wasn't widely reported at all. So there's sort of a few very small one or two paragraph newspaper articles that I saw. And I didn't see much else about it. So the British press didn't seem to cover it much at all. But within Greece, yeah, there was quite a lot of media coverage of of their trip. Mm. And they were there for, I think, sort of just over a week. And there was one newspaper called Tovima that covered their trip in in some detail, sort of reporting on it almost every day, Mm. you know, sometimes with quite big articles or maybe just with a quick update. But but so, yeah, this this journalist who wrote about that trip was called Labis Syriotakis. He's actually still around and he's actually just written some memoirs, which which include the Beatles trip. And he apparently met John Lennon and, and talked to him and things. But yeah, so he he wrote articles and there was another newspaper that sort of wrote a bit about their trip as well. So within Greece, it was quite well covered. And yeah, that was I'm not sure the Beatles wanted that or expected that. But that's what that's what they found when they when they got there. Was it something that that generally that that the Greek public and government would have been pleased about? Yeah, that's an interesting question because the Greek regime at that time was very specifically anti hippies and sort of they they disapproved of rock music, long hair and things like that. So they were they were very conservative in that sense, you know, which makes it surprising that they wanted the Beatles there at all. Um, and that's one of the things that I talk about quite a lot on the Substack. But yeah, so so it seems that that there was some feeling within Greece in some kind of official capacity that having the Beatles visit would be good for their for the image of their country abroad mm. because they'd realised that this this new regime was quite unpopular in countries like Britain. People disapproved of it, but they were also were trying to develop their tourism industry, and that was an important part of their economy they were thinking about how they could improve their image. And and then they somehow had this idea, apparently, that by arranging media coverage of the Beatles trip could could help them in that way. So, yeah, so that's that's one of the things that I look into quite a lot and try and sort of work out how that happened, if it did happen, and the details of that. Remind us again of the, the timeline. What dates were they over there in 67? I think they got there at slightly different times, but they were... Between the 20th and 22nd of July, they got there. So they stayed in Athens for a little bit. And then uh, Ringo Starr actually went back quite soon because his wife was pregnant. Mm. Um, And then the others, they started this cruise a few days later. And I think they did the cruise for about six days. And then they went back sort of on around the 30th or 31st of July. It was that kind of time. Okay. what kind of activities did they do? There's there's a few pictures and some film. Actually, yeah, there's the film isn't there in the anthology, which you reference a fair bit in your your writing. Would that just have been filmed by by them, or was that news footage, or where does that all that stuff come from? Yeah, there's a section on the anthology documentary, which is all about their trip to Greece, and it's got these various shots of the Beatles in Greece. So, what I assume is that that was someone from their party. Mm took that footage but I don't I don't actually know where where it did come from but what's interesting about some of those shots is that you, you know there are some shots of islands and stuff that if you look at them they do match these islands called the Lycodonesia 
that I think were the ones that they seriously started trying to buy. Interestingly, there's also some some sort of very specific scenes from from those anthology shots that quite closely match these newspaper reports. So there's things like Julian Lennon. There's one shot where he's holding this doll, which is called a solia. So it's like a, a traditional Greek soldier. And that's also referenced in one of these newspaper reports where apparently that was given to them as a gift. So there's little things like that that sort of seem to match very closely, which is yeah. interesting. What did they do then while they were there? Were they were they mobbed a lot? Was In those pictures, there's, there's that really great picture of the four of them with these older guys with instruments. What kind of activities did they do while they were there? So there was one day when they sort of did a day trip, and I think that was the 23rd of July, which was a Sunday. So it was when they were staying in Athens, and then this is probably the, the day that was most closely reported in the newspapers. So they went to this village called Arachova. There were these local musicians there who sort of started playing, and then all the Beatles group and the local people there joined in and started dancing on a rooftop, apparently. So I think when in the anthology film, there's a, there's a scene where everyone's sort of holding hands in a circle, dancing around, and I think that's probably then. I think that's also when they were photographed alongside those traditional Greek musicians. And then on the same day, they went to the beach at Itea, which is nearby there. And I think that probably also a scene from there in anthology. And then, yeah, they went to... They were going to go to a play at, at Delphi, which is this sort of ancient sacred site with an amphitheatre. And they apparently there were so many sort of journalists and crowds there that they immediately, once they got there, they left immediately without seeing the play that they were supposed to go and see. So, yeah, it seems that for whatever reason, the Greek press and and apparently some of the public as well got to know about their activities and what they were doing. The Beatles apparently were surprised about that and tried to avoid it. Mm. You write a bit about the the British government's reaction to these attempts that the Beatles made to to buy this this island. What can you tell us about that, and why was that important? The British government had to be involved because at the time, because of the rules, so anyone who wanted to invest money abroad or buy property abroad had to get permission from the government and they had to buy this currency that was called property dollars so they needed permission to do that and so the the Beatles lawyers sent a request to the Bank of England for this money sort of explaining that they wanted to buy an island and this is this is in the documents in the National Archives where it has some details of this island and then there's records of discussions between civil servants uh, about whether to allow it because there was some debate over because they were asking for relatively quite a large amount there was some debate over whether that would freeze up the property market. But the interesting thing is that those discussions went to quite a high level in the Treasury. The most senior civil servant of the Treasury, the Permanent Secretary, comments on it. And then he says, because of it involved the Beatles, so it may attract publicity. And for some other reason, it needs to be referred to a minister. So it was actually a government minister that approved that. That was after they got back in August. Yeah, so that that's why the British government had to be involved in it. So the government didn't comment on it publicly, but Internally, civil servants had to sort of make make decisions about their plans for Greece. What were the reasons that it didn't progress past that? Why do you think they they never ended up buying this island? Yeah, so in, in these documents, it says that they encountered some legal difficulties and required additional amounts of money, and therefore that's why they decided not to go ahead with it. 
So that's the reason given in the documents. You know, I think probably there's not that much evidence of this, but I think the fact that Brian Epstein died in August, that was quite a big event for them. And that probably made them reassess a lot of things. So I, I think it was sort of a transitional time for the Beatles as a whole. And I guess they were coming up with a lot of ideas that weren't necessarily ultimately that practical. And this mm. this was really fell into that category, I think. When you were researching, did you find out much that they'd said about this over the course of the countless interviews that the four of them were given after the breakup, say? Did they talk about this much? No, there's there's very little. In fact, the only comment that from a Beatle directly, I think, is in um, Hunter Davis's biography. And John Lennon says something like, you know, I don't care if they're all communists or all fascists. They're, they're just as bad here, that kind of thing. Um, so that was a kind of typically good John Lennon comment. And then I'm not aware of any comments from the other Beatles on it at all. Mm. I think, yeah, they do talk about it in in anthology, just sort of the basics. They don't really comment on the detail of it or what they thought about it or the politics or anything like that. I got the impression that maybe it's in the anthology as an excuse to show that footage. The anthology was a lot of unseen at, at that point, this is obviously pre-YouTube and etc. Mm. A lot of the appeal of the anthology was you had all this home movie footage. There's some of the Indian stuff, some of the stuff that they filmed in 63 in Western Supermare, etc. And this is a good example of them, of footage that would never have been seen before. I don't think that was seen previous to the anthology. So, I don't know, I, I sort of got the sense that they talked about it. As you say, it's, it's a pretty brief section, but it's, but it's terrific footage and you see them as you say, dancing around, you know, it's post-Pepper in the glorious Greek sunshine. Yeah, that's interesting. So it wasn't something that came up in interviews a great deal after that. Not that I've seen. I mean, I guess because they went to Greece and then they did start the process of buying it. And sort of, so that started in July. And then apparently by October, it just sort of fizzled out. Mm. So it was sort of ongoing for a few months. But I guess because they didn't actually buy it in the end, maybe they sort of forgot about it or I, it doesn't come up. So it's in, it's sort of mentioned in passing in a few books, but I've, I've not seen it come up in, in any interviews. The interesting thing I, I think is that John Lennon did actually buy an island um, in Ireland a few mm. months earlier. It does seem that he was sort of the driving force behind this idea to buy an island. Probably. I think one of the things that it sort of makes you think about their psychology at that time. And, you know, they, They'd stopped touring. They were perhaps looking for new directions and, and maybe the idea of escaping to an island appealed at the height of Beatlemania. The idea of having somewhere private where they could go and escape the crowds may have, may have been very appealing to them. So, absolutely, absolutely. So just briefly to return to to return to Magic Alex, did you find out much about what happened to him after he left the Beatles in a circle? Do you know what the reasons were around that? I think there was obviously some... Controls because he 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 became head of Apple's electronics division, and then there was some controversy around that. And then I think when Alan Klein came in to sort of you know sort out the situation at Apple, that's when he left. He, I think he's definitely been accused of claiming he could make this amazing studio, and then it didn't really deliver what mm-hmm. they wanted. In that sense, that's only from what other people have written. And then long after he he parted ways with the Beatles. He sort of went into business and he had some very interesting contacts. So he knew the King of Greece and through that he seems to have 
got to know, you know, had connections with various other royal families around the world. And he had a business sort of selling security equipment like armored cars and things like that. So he has quite a colorful career after the Beatles. And, and he sort of had, had a house on this Greek island called Idra. Seems to have had quite a, you know, a lot of celebrity friends and things like that. So in some ways he was quite a larger than life character, but also seems to have been a bit of a mystery to lots of people as well. Yeah. So, Those celebrity friends that you mentioned, that that wouldn't be the, the Beatles. They didn't reconnect with him after the late 60s. Um, I don't really know, actually. But as far as I know, no, I think he didn't have much contact with the Beatles. So I, I think John Lennon was his main friend in the Beatles. And then I, I think I have seen some record of correspondence between Mardas and John Lennon. I can't remember where, but I don't know much about that, actually. Okay. Did he um, talk about the Beatles much? Did he give a lot of interviews to people after through the kind of 70s and 80s? I don't think so, because I, I looked a bit in, in the Greek media for interviews with him and there was one yeah so he he does talk a bit about his life to some journalists I think there was one from the 80s or 90s but he didn't seem to talk much about the Beatles and then I was actually reading Peter Doggett's book You Never Give Me Your Money and I think he actually met Alex Mardas and there's there's a little bit in I think the introduction where he talks about meeting Mardas I don't think he did talk much about the Beatles so I guess he was he was quite discreet in in that way yeah mm. Fascinating story. So just, just to conclude, really, what are you going to continue working on this? Is this going to, are you going to expand this? What's what are your kind of aims to to carry on with this research? I will continue with it because I think it started out as sort of a very, I guess, a very narrow question of where was this island? And then in the process of researching that, it sort of led me to explore more about the Beatles themselves and also about the wider history. And I think, you know, it seems to be that it's just a, a natural process that the more I try and work out where this island was, the more I learn about those other other wider subjects. So yeah, I'll I'll carry on carry on doing that and sort of looking into the context and, and the people involved and, and things like that. Right. So, what point did you start doing this? How long have you been doing this for now? Well, so when I first heard the story, it was actually in 2010 when mm. I was on um, Skiathos. So because I was obviously doing other stuff from time to time, I would spend a bit of time and then. There have been some periods when I've looked into it a bit more closely. Yeah, it was actually during the first lockdown in 2020 that I sort of went back to it and got got some new ideas and made a bit of progress with it. So, and I started the Substack about a year and a half ago now. It's been an ongoing project. <laughs> yes, it's um, vital stuff. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for coming on to, to talk about it. And who knows, maybe we'll we'll meet again and you'll have found out even more about the Beatles in Greece. Well, yeah, no, thanks for inviting me. It's uh, It's been great to talk about it. Great, thank you.